Please open with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. Now, in the past, as some of you will recall, I spent a considerable amount of time in this chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, but for some unknown reason, I never preached from verses 11 through 15. I looked through all my notes, and there was none there. I never preached from it. I don't know why. So, we will hear from those verses this morning. And it just so happens that it has everything to do with what I have been touching on in these last few weeks on how to improve your service to God. How can you improve your service to God? I trust that that is a desire in your Christian heart to know God and to serve God. And these verses here give us yet more understanding on how we can do just that. How can we better serve God? I'm going to suggest to you the three C's of Christian service. Commitment, concentration, and caution. The three C's of Christian service. Maybe you recall that the preceding verses, up through verse 10, the disciples of Jesus Christ are being sent out in couples, in twos, And as they go out to proclaim the word of God, they are to depend on human hospitality and divine providence. In this particular instance, in other instances that's not the case, but in this particular instance they are limited limited as to what they are to take with them and what they are to procure along the way. And you'll notice if you read through the chapter that certainly they are not to look for creature comforts. They are not to look for material comforts that are going to somehow contribute to their physical needs and well-being. That's the very opposite of what we do when we head out somewhere, right? We make reservations and we try to make those reservations to be as convenient as possible. We look for the best hotels, the best places to eat. According to whatever we can afford, we, we look for our comfort. Even when we go camping, We look to be comfortable when we are uncomfortable. I think that's what camping is, right? It's comfortable discomfort. (laughs) Well, the disciples here are being told to do exactly the opposite. Do not look for your comfort. Rather, wait on God to supply through the people you encounter. And then we come to verse 16, and we've looked at that verse many times over my tenure here. In verse 16, the ante is up when Christ tells them that they are going to face some danger. In fact, he says that this is what you're going to face and therefore this is how you should act. And Jesus Christ looks to his disciples and says that they are being sent out as sheep among wolves. Wow. That's kind of frightening. Sheep among wolves. Uh, Those are rather bad odds, aren't they? Humanly speaking. You're being sent out as sheep among a pack of wolves. Until, of course, you consider who is empowering you, who it is that is protecting you and guiding you. Then all of a sudden, being a sheep among wolves is not so frightening after all. But in light of the fact that the people of God are sheep among wolves, Jesus Christ tells them in verse 16 that as servants of Christ... You are to be wise as a serpent and innocent as a pigeon. I know your text says dove, but really, pigeon 
is correct as well. In fact, it's the same word. Dove, pigeon, in the original language. Uh, dove sounds much better, though, doesn't it? I remember many years ago, my father was preaching, and in his limited English vocabulary, he was preaching on the baptism of Christ, and he said that after the baptism of Christ, a pigeon came and rested above the head of Christ, and it was the Holy Spirit. And people chuckled, and he had no reason, no idea as to why. And in the car, he asked me, why were people laughing? And I explained it to him, and, and he found it funny, too. A pigeon, as he said, uh, a dove, rather, is essentially a, a pigeon. And here we're told that as Christians, sheep among wolves, we should be as wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Wise as a serpent. That is, we should be shrewd. Um, a serpent knows when to move and when to, when to stay still. Okay? A serpent knows when to retreat. And I must say, snakes are very effective. Snakes set out to do something to catch their prey, and they do. And a serpent only makes itself known when it has to. A serpent is wise. It is stealth and effective. The serpent does not attract attention to itself. The serpent does not say, oh, look at me. Here I am. I'm about to squeeze you and eat you head first whole. No. It attacks very quietly and accomplishes what it's supposed to do. Be wise as a serpent. And innocent as a pigeon or dove. And of course, you men, after you washed your car, you don't think pigeons are so innocent. But the reality is, is that a pigeon or a dove is harmless. In fact, so harmless that you can feed them out of your hand. So harmless that they mate for life. <laughs> There's a reason why the dove is the universal symbol of peace. And Jesus Christ says you should be as innocent as that dove. However, in these verses here, our text this morning, verses 11 through 15, we are taught that as servants of God, we need to have three C's, commitment, concentration, and caution. That is, of course, if you want to improve your service to God. Let's take a look at the text. I'll read just those verses to you, beginning at 11, Matthew chapter 10. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Well, let's begin with verse 11. And the first point there is that the servant is to be a committed servant. He is to be committed. She is to be committed to the task at hand. Now, earlier I said that Christ made it very clear that his servants in this particular case were to be dependent on the hospitality of people they encountered and, of course, God's providence, God's divine care regarding their daily needs. And they were not to take certain things, in fact, anything extra. But here now, verse 11, he adds to his requirement. He says at verse 11 that they are to enter a house or into a town, a city, and they are to inquire. 
That is to say, they are to assess who they are going to associate with. The disciples come into that house or into that community and they are to assess, inquire as to who it is that they will associate with. They had to determine who was worthy of having these servants come to their house. Now please understand, it wasn't because they were such high caliber people. Jesus Christ is not saying, you know what, you Christians are so great, the rest of the world is so terrible. So you examine yourself and you place yourself over them. No, that's not what is being said at all. But rather, it is saying you assess who you will associate with in regards to the fact that you are here representing Jesus Christ himself and that you are coming as one who is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so make this assessment. Are they worthy of the gospel? That is this. Are they willing to listen to the gospel? Are they able to listen to the gospel? Are they desirous to hear the gospel? Do they accept the words of these men, of these servants, as being the words from God himself? Assess, inquire, who is it that you are associating with? And as a result, they were to then accomplish the task. They were to be committed to this particular task. And so verse 11, they're told to abide or remain in that house or in that village, in that city. Until, of course, it was time to move on. That is to say, the servant of Christ was not to look for his particular comfort. He was not to look for a, a place where he could quickly move on, spend a little time and just keep going. Rather, they were supposed to be as a person who is committed to the gospel task. There needs to be a sense of contentment. A sense of contentment. Contentment can be hard to find. If you are an angry person, you're not a content person. If you are seeking vengeance, you're not a content person. You know, even depression tells me I'm not a content person. If you're sad, you're saying things are just so bad. I can't find contentment. If you're a critical person, it's because you're not a content person. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6.6 6, that godliness and contentment together are of great gain. Godliness and contentment will take you very far. And Paul had to learn this contentment through his circumstances. He writes about it in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's something he learned. Whatever the situation, whether it's much or little, he learned to be content. And then in verse 13 he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, I can be content Because God enables me, no matter the circumstances, I can do this. God's on my side. I can be content. It doesn't mean you don't improve your situation. It means that if this is my situation, my God is with me. I can be content. Here we see that the servants of God are to stay and be committed to completing the task that God has given. It's simply a call to 
commitment. The servant of God must be, if you want to serve God properly, you must be committed to the task of the gospel that he gives to you. Now, others may come and go, and they do. But the true servant, the good servant, is one who will wisely work with those who are willing to receive the gospel. And he, she, will focus on the task of the gospel, be committed to that task of taking the gospel to where it needs to go. Commitment. Secondly, we see here that God calls on his servant to concentrate on the mission. Not only be committed, but concentrate on that gospel mission. Look at verses 12 and 13. The servant of God, if you want to improve your service to God, you must focus on what God has entrusted to you. So here we see that as the servant of God enters a house, it says, as you go into the house, you minister to the people in the house. As you enter into that community, you minister to that community. You enter with what? How do you minister? With the gospel. You focus on the gospel. You see, as Christians, there are so many needs around us. And to some degree, we can help, yes. But what is our priority? Our priority is the gospel. There are many things we can do, but the thing we must do is the gospel. Present the gospel. I can feed them today. Great. But they will be hungry tomorrow. Our task is first and foremost to be committed to concentrating on the gospel. It's the task of the church. It's not that we ignore the other needs, but we place our focus, our concentration on the task of the gospel. Proclaim it. Here, verse 12, it says that you enter the home and you give the family your greeting. And what greeting is this? Well, it's the old ancient oriental greeting of shalom, peace. Peace. In fact, Luke chapter 10, verse 5 gives us the whole greeting. It says, peace to this house. Uh, Peace was not simply the lack of conflict. Well, um, yeah, I did that with my granddaughter. My, my, My son got really upset because I told her to do this. Do this for Gramps. Peace. <laughs> and now we have a little two-year-old that goes, peace. <laughs> My son didn't like that. Now, if I was the dad, I wouldn't like it either. But it's a granddaughter, you see? And so grandparents can get away with what parents cannot. But that's such a common expression, right? Peace. And what do we mean by it? It's almost like a God bless you when somebody sneezes. Are we really saying, well, I pray that the Lord is going to keep you from the cold and that this will not turn into a flu and that God will spare you from COVID. God bless you. I find that to be so frivolous that when people sneeze, I don't acknowledge it. I think it's silly to say, God bless you. Maybe you've noticed that. Some people look at me and say, well, are you going to say something? And I'm like, "Eh." I think it's silly. It's frivolous. And I know it's universal, but I still have a hard time saying God bless you because I'm really not thinking God bless you. I'm just acknowledging that you sneezed, which I think is silly. Is it wrong? Well, that's a different story. I think it's silly. 
And many people say peace. And they're not really talking about God's peace to you. They're just saying what is the common expression of the day. But that's not what we see here. What we see here was an expression of wholeness for that community, for that home. It was an expression that there be an abiding peace in your body, in your soul, in your mind, for everybody here in this household. If the person, if that home was hospitable, if that person was willing to receive the gospel, the servant of Christ was to say, peace in your house. If you run your finger down to verse 41, chapter 10, verse 41, it sheds some light on this expression. Verse 41 reads this way. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. What is that reward? Peace in your house. Peace in your house. These are not just mere greetings. Rather, this is a prayer. Prayer saying, Lord, bless this home with peace. It's not what we do today. Hey, how you doing? And you just walk away. No, this is a prayer. Say, may God's peace be in your home, in your community, because you are receptive to the gospel. However, the other half of verse 13, or beginning of verse 13, I should say, if this house is worthy, let me begin there, if this house is worthy, and the house is open, desirous, willing to hear the gospel, it says, let your greeting of peace come upon this household, correct? May this house be blessed with the soul-rescuing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, look at the second half of verse 13. But if they are unworthy, if they are unwilling to hear the gospel, if they do not desire the message of Jesus Christ, they are told, don't stay there. Let your peace, your peace greeting, return to you. That's speaking of the loss of Jesus Christ. Those who refuse to be satisfied by Christ are going to have to look for their satisfaction elsewhere. But it's not going to come from the servants of Christ. And of course, that satisfaction will never be found. There will be no peace outside of Christ. And so the servant of Christ is to concentrate on the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. If they are receptive to the gospel, may God's peace be in your home. If they are not, then retract your greeting. Because they have refused Christ. Those who receive Christ's servant with the gospel, receive Christ. And those who receive Christ... Receive God, the Father, who sent him. In fact, take a look at verse 40. We looked at verse 41. Take a look at verse 40. It reads this way. Whoever receives me, whoever receives you, receives me, and whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. That house is going to be blessed. 
because of those who are receptive to the gospel. It reminds me of what we see in Genesis 39 when when Joseph was serving the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was not a godly man in any stretch of the imagination, but his household was fully blessed. Why? Because it was a man of God living and serving in that house. His name was Joseph. And the truth is, my friends, that if you are the only believer in your house, God blesses your home and all those others in your home are actually affected by your belief, your faith. It's like an umbrella of grace in your house because of your faith, even if you are alone. It's the overflow effect. You're being blessed, but like a, a, a mug of root beer that overflows and just spills everywhere else, so does God's grace in you spill over to others who may not know Christ, but they benefit from the blessings of Christ to you. Matt Chaplin puts it this way, to be blessed is to be one of God's own people with all the benefits that, that it brings. And those people who are around you are blessed as well. Maybe not to the same degree. It's a measured amount, but you are blessed nonetheless. They are blessed nonetheless. Spillover effect. They benefit from your peace. They benefit from your wisdom and your patience, love, joy, kindness. They benefit from your generosity, your gentleness, your self-control. The perfection of God over that household. The protection of God over that household. Because of you. I can't overstate how important it is for you to be the Christian in your home. Even when others may refuse Christ. You are a blessing to your household. And so the Christian has to concentrate on those who are, of course, receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Extend your greeting of peace. Retract if they are not receptive. Now, that's not to say that you go up to somebody who doesn't believe in Christ and you offer the gospel. They say, no, 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 no. And you say, well, I gave you a, a chance. That's it. I'm walking away. You had your one chance. That's not what the scriptures are saying. If that were the case, there would be no evangelized communities. But it is to say, my friends, that the gospel should be proclaimed to those who want to hear it. And to those who will receive it and then proclaim it to others who want to hear it. Proclaim the gospel to all people. Here's a good principle to live by. Proclaim the gospel to all people. Insist on it with those who refuse to believe. But minister the gospel to those who will believe, who do believe, who receive it. Concentrate on your mission. Keep in mind that Christ is building a people for himself. He's building his church. 1 Peter 2.9 Concentrate on the proclamation and reception of the gospel. Insist on it with those who do not believe. 
minister the gospel to those who do believe. Which takes us then to verses 14 and 15. And the third and last point. The servant's caution. Uh, there are two cautions here. One in verse 14 and one in verse 15. And verse 14 is very similar to what I've already said. Uh, take a look there. Verse 14 reads this way. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. That is to say, my friends, do spend time with those who refuse to believe. But here it is saying don't waste time trying to convince those who refuse to look to Christ. Yes, spend time, but don't waste time. Verse 14 again says, If anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, to those who refuse to welcome or receive you, these are the not worthies that Christ spoke of earlier. Not because they're lesser people. It has nothing to do with quality or caliber of character. But because they're simply unwilling. It's a matter of attitude or disposition. Here we see that your blessing of peace, shalom in his house, may God invade your home. Let that blessing return to you. Withdraw your blessing. These are the people that Jesus Christ describes this way in John 5.40. He says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Verse 14, the second half says, when you leave that town or that house that is on your way out, don't stay there. As one who is evangelizing, as one who is serving God, that's where you live, that's where you need to stay. But as you are looking to serve God, and you're taking the gospel wherever you go in life, and they refuse the scriptures. They refuse Christ. Spend time there. Don't waste time there. As you leave, as you make your way out. Look at what it says. It says, shake the dust off your feet. And this was a Jewish practice, and in some cases still practiced. That whenever a Jew entered a Gentile land and then came back into their precious Israel, when they crossed back into the borders of Israel, they had a very dramatic way of saying, I'm getting rid of all that polluted me in your pagan world. <laughs> a very dramatic way of saying, I don't want to be like you sinners. It, it was a dramatic way of disassociating. And Jesus says, well, these people who refuse Christ and claim to be the people of Christ, Israel, treat them as people who are pagans. Treat them as people who are far, far, far from God. Corrupted by their sin. Shake the dust off your feet. And go to a place where the gospel is going to be received. Speak to a people. And if they refuse, shake the dust off your feet. And then go to a people who will receive, who will thirst for God's righteousness. Proclaim the gospel to people who are ready to hear it. Don't stay there necessarily insisting and insisting and insisting. Do pray for them, by the way. Do pray for them. 
In fact, if you go over to the very end of chapter 9, which the story begins there, the very end of chapter 9, verses 37 to 38, it tells us that we ought to pray that the God of the harvest, the one who prepares hearts to hear the gospel, pray that the God of the harvest will also send out workers to speak to these people whose hearts he's preparing to hear the gospel. Pray for them. So here's caution number one. Be careful that you do not waste time as you serve God, but certainly spend time with all those who come your way. With whomever you encounter, let the words of the gospel of Christ readily pour out your lips. And then we have verse 15. And here we see a second caution. Truly I say to you, it will be be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Of course, this is a reference to Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, the two cities that were completely annihilated because of their sexual behavior. In fact, in particular, it was their refusal to distinguish between male and female. God destroyed them. Christ is saying here, To turn your efforts to others. Why? Because these people who refuse Christ are doomed. They have every reason to believe and yet they will not. Christ has proven himself. Christ has displayed who he is. Christ has said who he is. But they refuse. So Christ says move on. They are doomed. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It's a passage I don't like reading without explaining, but I'm going to today. Such a difficult passage for us to comprehend, I often hesitate to say it publicly without then giving an explanation. But I'll leave the explanation for another day, because it is very fitting here. It says in Hebrews 6 that it is impossible. It says, well, verse 5. For those who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Those are sobering words. It will be better, Jesus Christ said, for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the people of this home or this community who keep rejecting Christ. Now, as a side note, notice here that there is going to be, there is now, a gradation of suffering in hell. Not everyone will suffer equally, but all will suffer. It will be worse for them for having rejected Christ than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. Christ repeats likewise in chapter 11, verse 24. It will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Because the kingdom of God has come. Christ the Messiah is here. Christ has proven himself and they have chosen to ignore it. Christ arrived, and they didn't believe it. Earlier, in chapter 7, Christ reminds his disciples not to throw pearls to swine. In other words, spend time, don't waste time, concentrate on the gospel, focus your commitment on the gospel proclamation, 
But look, there's a caution here. And here's the caution. The advancement of the kingdom of God, yes, it is divisible. It does divide. Uh, Verses 34 and 35 tell us so very clearly. The word of God does divide. Not only that, but it will be opposed. Chapter 11, verses 11 and 12 tell us that the kingdom of God will be opposed. But here's the caution. It will be worse off for those who reject the message and even the messenger of the gospel. That's verse 15. Your relationship with your creator, my friends. Your relationship with your creator is hinged, intricately so, on your relationship with Jesus Christ and the gospel message. Your relationship with God, your creator, is intricately connected to your knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ and the gospel. You cannot know God the Father without knowing Christ the Son. And what you do with Christ will determine your eternity. And there's the caution. Be cautious regarding the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why Christ sent out his disciples, his servants, because the gospel is of number one importance. You need a savior, is what they proclaimed. Are you willing to receive it? Some said no. They shook the dust off their feet and they moved on. They gave them every reason to believe and they refused. And then they moved on. But if they received the gospel message, these servants were to be committed to fulfilling, completing the task. And the peace of God would be in that home. The peace of God would be in that community as people embraced Christ. We live in a world that offers us so much, but only Christ offers his peace, both present and eternally. And he calls you to come to him. Bear attention to the caution. And there we have, my friends, the three C's of the gospel, the three C's of the servant of God. Commit to the task of the gospel. Concentrate on the proclamation of Christ's gospel and be cautious regarding the importance of the gospel. Apply these three and you will be a better servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Our Lord and our God, we are grateful for the intricate lessons you give to us throughout your scriptures, but here in particular. I pray, Lord, that we would indeed be a people who are committed to the gospel task and that we will concentrate on the reality of the gospel instead of allowing our attention to be placed elsewhere. And Lord, we pray that we would be cautious, that we would know when to speak and when to be silent, and that we would speak your gospel, that we would not waste time. And we pray, Lord, for those who are on the receiving end, on the listening end. May they hear your call. May they know the reality of Christ. And may they turn to you. Amen, Jesus, we pray.